Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year 2022. We welcome you all to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I am a cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life, business, and retirement coaching support. I provide individual one-on-one session and also do group settings. If you have any, if you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550, and our website is lifecoachdanamslight.com. Today, I'm very, very ex- uh, excited, actually, to have for our sixth episode of season four, a very special guest, Dr. Saduda, who is actually a, a master hypnotist and also an exorcist. So if anyone has seen the movie The Exorcist, this is a good uh, podcast for you. So just like every of my past season and episode, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Dr. Sadu, the floor is yours. <laughs> Hi, how's it going? Uh, so. Uh... I guess the the best way to start it is dissecting the term exorcist because that is just such a loaded term with today's modern society. Um, I'm more along the lines of somebody that helps people in situations of paranormal crisis. And a lot of times it's not necessarily an exorcism that's needed. Those are more rare cases, but they're not as rare as you may think. A lot of times when I come in to help somebody, the first thing I actually have to do, as I'm sure you may be familiar with as well, is assessing their trauma and assessing what it is that has brought them into a lower state where certain entities might be able to actually influence them in a negative manner. So the first thing that I do is I use a combination of skills that I have uh, thorough training in from the lineage of Theravada Buddhism and Thai Buddhist magic, uh, specifically the animistic practices of old Siam, which come from the Khmer Lana forced monks. And I use a variation of rituals, mantra, um, yants, all kinds of different things within that tradition to help people, whether it be in a ritual aspect uh, for cleansings, for blessings, things of that nature. I also use some of the mysticism and the meditative practices that I was taught by a Rinpoche when I became an initiated Lama in the Bonpo lineage. And I use a combination of ceremonial magic practices when I became a high priest in a Wiccan uh, coven. So there are certain aspects of Western psychology that I will approach as well, which is using neuroscience practices like neurogenic reprocessing, um, subconscious uh, rewriting of the neurology and parasympathetic reset of old adrenal responses that are still active in the body. And I use hypnotism as well. There's a whole myriad of things at my disposal that I'll use when somebody will come to me initially. So in the very beginning, it's not that okay, you've come to me, let's do an exorcism. It's let's evaluate what you actually need. And if an exorcism is needed, trust me, there will not be a doubt about that. (laughs) Wow. So is it the exorcism? I mean, if we have to tackle this topic, I'm sure that a lot of the listeners are really curious to see, okay, where's that guy coming from? And is it exactly like the movies? Now, um, obviously, someone who comes to you, do they come to you in the same form as the, the, the person who is possessed 
will have will be able to get their body bent in half, whatever it is, or is it something more that they change personality based in when you talk to them, you know that someone else is in there and, and it's not just a multiple personality disorder, but it's something much more deeper. Would you be able to do it this way? Or how, how does someone come, come to you and say, I'm possessed? Well, that's actually a really good question because what I've found is the first thing I have to be is um, skeptical because you know there when you're when you're talking about situations like this a lot of times there is an overlap of trauma or you know multiple personality disorders disassociative identity disorder things of that nature um, schizophrenia as well there are certain elements that I need to rule out first because if I do have somebody coming to me that is claiming to have spiritual influence that might be more of the category of mental illness, then I honestly need to take an entirely different approach. And I will sometimes play into the delusion a little bit just to gain that rapport and be able to start helping them work through that delusion. And then we can get them into a better state of mind and being by helping them heal in regards to what they need uh, as far as mental illness aspect. So I've noticed when people come to me who have genuine possession or genuine paranormal encounters, a lot of times they're actually very hesitant. Um, I find that they will themselves not necessarily believe what's going on. <clears throat> they don't come to me and say, I think I'm possessed. Um, anytime I've had that happen, it's usually been not exactly what they think it is. Um, there's two elements that we need to take into consideration when we're dealing with things specifically like possession and doing exorcisms. And one is if a person can reach out to me and is seeking help, they're more likely experiencing stage one to stage two phenomena. And stage one is infestation and manifestation. So that is when an entity has made its presence known, it is trying to establish an anchor in the home um, or with the person themselves, and you're seeing um, certain paranormal phenomena. Um, sometimes that will include like knocking, things disappearing, um, certain apparitions or shadows, cold spots, things of that nature, uh, subtle paranormal phenomena. When we start to get into stage two, that's where you see what's called um, trans possession or transient possession. Mm -hmm. So this is where the entity can induce um, certain uh, phenomena that you won't see in stage one, <clears throat> mainly being um, hallucinatory uh, episodes. So a person will see blood coming down from the wall. Now that can actually happen. And I do have recorded footage of this in my drive folders from cases, um, uh, shadows that are growing from the corner of a wall and then dripping down and that's on camera. And so, so this is actual phenomena that's happening, but a lot of times it's easier for an entity using the energy for its manifestation base to grow in power will actually induce through that rapport connection that's established with the individual, um, the, these hallucinations and what is really deceptive and genius about this from the entity's perspective is that it's using less energy to generate more fear. And then on top of that, it's secluding and isolating the person. Oh, did you see that? I just saw this. No, I didn't see that. Are you sure you got enough sleep tonight? You, you know, so, so it's like you start to 
get into this game of chess, essentially, when we're playing with these malevolent entities, because they are very deceptive by nature. Um, they don't want to come out, you know, all Hail Mary and be very obvious. They want to ramp up the activity with the individual before it's on a very noticeable level. And then by that point, they're so entrenched when someone like me comes in, got my work cut out for me. Uh, when you actually are getting into possession, so true possession is a whole different subject. When we have that, we have to worry about what's called integration. So that is where a entity will take over the host personality. And that is uh, mostly seen in late stage, uh, late stage three. So stage three being possession, stage two being the overshadowing and transient possession. When we get to stage three, that's when you start to see a lot of the phenomena that you see in Hollywood movies. And that kind of thing does happen. It is rare, but um, make no mistake, when it does happen, and if you happen to witness it or be a part of it, 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 it can break your brain. It can make you question everything you ever thought about reality. And it's absolutely terrifying. And for someone like me that has a lot of experience in doing this, I'm not going to lie to you. It still terrifies me when I come into contact and I'm not necessarily safe either with my skills and with my practice and um, levels of protection that I've gained in doing this as long as I have. I still have close calls. I've still been in danger. I've been possessed myself and I have been hurt. I actually had an entity explode my appendix one time. So, you know, these are things that are not to be taken lightly when you are in those situations. That is just spectacular. Now, um, I'm not too much into um, this science, if you would call that a science, but is there a way, I mean, in stage three, which is basically the latent stage, does the host body always die? Or when the spirit is already encroached into that physical body, can you separate it? Can you separate the, the, the demon from that physical body without it dying? Yes, but that is dependent upon um, your timing. Ideally, in an ideal world, as soon as stage one is happening, we shut it down right away. Um, and, and we can have very, very high success with that, ending it in stage one. Stage two, a little bit trickier, but it can still be done with great, degree, great degrees of success. Stage three is where it gets a lot more tricky because... By stage three, the entity usually has um, a very specific goal in mind, and that is um, either murder-suicide or murder, and then it leaves that person, and then they're left to suffer the consequences and legal ramifications of those actions. Awesome. And why would an entity do this? Well, you have to think of these things being quasi-physical in nature. Uh, so that moment of death of the host is actually a giant feeding of energy for this entity. The entity itself is not going to die or be harmed if the host body dies. Now, if you want to dislodge the entity from that person and not harm the host, that is very easily achievable as long as you do it in the right way. 
if you go into it the way that uh, I think it was Annalise Michelle, um, which, you know, that uh, Exorcist movie was based off of. Now, what they did was not the right way to go about it. Um, you know, this poor girl endured starvation over months. Um, you know, she was being psychologically abused, not just by the entity, but by the people who were conducting the exorcisms. Uh, and, and so there is a way to do it that is going to have a low success rate and is a very real possibility that you kill the host, um, you know, before you even banish the entity. What I would do is a... Um, a, a series of rituals that's going to help kind of isolate the entity um, more so temporarily. Uh, and in that temporary uh, isolation of entity from host, then what I want to do is I want to put that person out of vibrational alignment with that entity so it can no longer connect with them. And this usually involves healing of trauma. Um, and that's how we raise their vibration. We have to heal their trauma. Uh, and it's not necessarily just from the encounter of the paranormal, but it can be things from childhood and often is, which allow that door anyway for the entity to connect in the very first place. Wow. Um, in the movie, The Conjuring, the couple that was doing it, is it something that what you do as well? Uh, so give me, give me a specific example, if you don't mind. Uh, the Conjuring, I think it's a, it's a couple that deals with paranormal activity. And I think they deal with, uh, they were Conjuring 2, they were sequels of this movie. Um, and again, they, they, they deal with someone who has been possessed and uh, are trying to figure out how to detach the, the entity or to the host. And I mean, it's if you have seen the movie or if you have not, I mean, it's hard because for me, I just watched it like a few years back. So it's hard for me to remember all the details of what they've done to be able to separate because, you know, I'm sure that you have seen a lot of the Hollywood movies to see how they do it and how they separate the host with the entity that is possessed seeing the host. Um, so when it comes to this process, how long does it take? Okay, if someone is in stage one or phase one, um, how long do you take to be able to... Um, understand if this entity is really a mental illness versus uh, something that is trying to encroach the host or get into the, the life of the host. And then, of course, if it's not addressed, they go to stage two, and then stage three would become increasingly difficult to separate them. So how do you know, again, you said you have to do an assessment, then you'll be able to uh, figure out if they are dealing with uh, dissociative disorders, or, and if after this assessment, do you say, okay, then what is the next step to be able to, you said the first one, the first stage is very easy because they're not really into that person yet. Um, it's actually very simple. And that is uh, something I learned called the rule of three. So if you have three separate uh, types of unexplainable phenomena occurring, then we have a pretty good uh, chance that we're dealing with something that is um, of a paranormal category. Okay. If there is absolutely no paranormal phenomena whatsoever occurring, no matter how flashy or intricate or unbelievable the story the client is telling you, I am more inclined to believe that I might be dealing with mental illness. The absence of any paranormal phenomena already is a red flag for me. And I don't mean a red flag as in, you know, shame on the client because they're lying. Yeah. I mean, this means I need to start changing direction. 
And then if I, if I change the direction and I start approaching the person as they might be mentally ill and they need the appropriate health uh, or appropriate health and resource in that direction, if none of that is working and we are applying valid methods for you know, treating and helping these types of mental illnesses that are occurring, then we might want to look at the deeper layer behind what's happening. And so you can have this combination where it's rare because usually if there is something paranormal going on, you are going to see paranormal phenomena. But oftentimes, you know, when I come across a situation, if there's not paranormal phenomena happening and they're not responding to, uh, you know, what we're going to do to help them with the mental health issues that are occurring, we might already be in stage two, late stage two. And so that's when it gets really deceptive. And a lot of times the phenomena will be observable uh, with scratches and, and things of that nature, beds, levitating, et cetera. But depending upon the category of entity, um, you know, when we talk about these malevolent quasi-physical beings, a lot of people like to use the term demon because it's something that we can relate with um, as far as, you know, pop culture and, you know, religious uh, dominance here in America, that that's, that's an image that we can already conjure in our mind. Oh, a demon. Well, I just define a demon as a, um, a non-human quasi-physical entity uh, that is malevolent in nature. And there are many different types. Uh, some of them, uh, like, you know, we would call like, uh, you know, an astral parasite that induces sleep paralysis. Well, sleep paralysis, as we know, um, isn't always a paranormal phenomenon. Sometimes it can be, you know, the, the body waking up, uh, you know, right out of, uh, while still in REM state and you can have these vivid hallucinations and these things that occur where people describe something sitting on their chest uh, and they can't breathe and they can't move. And it's a terrifying experience. Well, how is that different from the paranormal situations where that occurs? Well, usually there'll be some sort of phenomena that's also occurring and happening on a regular basis in the house already, along with the sleep paralysis. So it's always looking for, is there other paranormal phenomena occurring? Is there any occurring at all? Or is this just a story that I'm being told by somebody who's in a fear state? Oh, this is like mind boggling, uh, Dr. Sadu. It's like, I've, you know, I, I always knew that, okay, when, when they create, uh, when they uh, produce a movie that is related to the science that you're talking about, I mean, it's just very creative writers, okay, that just come up with all of this. But this is something that you've experienced it yourself. So um, have you dealt with a full-fledged exorcism where you were able to kind of like detach the host with the malevolent uh, demon, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> uh, quasi-human. Um, and what was the process that you took? Was it like uh, um, specific, uh, you know, like tools that you use? I mean, I'm sure that's not tools, more of, of talking to the demon and telling them to get out or, or how's the process exactly? Well, a lot of times, you know, we, we have these depictions from Hollywood of, of, you know, the exorcist, you know, calling out the demon, trying to get the name, things of that nature. Uh, that's really, in my opinion, that's very ineffective. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, would, it would essentially be, in my mind, the same as, you know, somebody's, you know, doing something really aggressive and violent and, you know, saying, I know your name, I know your name, stop doing that thing. Uh, that's, that's not really going to have an effect. So what I like to do is 
I like to uh, get an idea of what type of entity I'm working with, just in general, through my processes of, um, you know, okay, working with the client, um, trying things like, you know, vinegar and sea salt bowls, um, you know, which will evaporate and help to kind of uh, destabilize the manifestation base uh, through the acidic mixture of that uh, concoction as it evaporates in the air, makes it very hard for an entity to manifest. I mean, there are certain things that I'll apply. And if they're not having as strong of an effect as I hope, then when I go and I do something like Sulpanyak, where I'm connecting with, you know, a god known as Tawetsuan, and I'm calling upon the Yaksa to come through and pretty much dislodge this entity for me, um, I am not quasi-physical in nature. I need to use tools that have a spiritual element to them, like a purba, um, if you're familiar with that in Bonpo traditions, um, or, uh, you know, some Wiccas will use the term in a thumb or in a theme, you know, the spiritual knife that they'll use in rituals. Well, I use uh, my crew, um, which is used in uh, Thai um, Buddhist magic. And I have, you know, these, these tools that I'll use to direct and the channel the energies um, to kind of help separate that link. And then I will also be using my chi, um, which I do um, an extensive amount of qigong. And I have these spiritual practices, these meditations that help to raise my state. And I've had people that are skeptical that when I do an energy healing and I do things like that, they, they feel um, you know, tangible energy emitting from my palms. So if we're going off of, you know, aspects of like, you know, the University of Heart Math measuring, um, you know, the electromagnetic field of the heart, we know that there is this aspect of our bodies, this electromagnetic field that connects with other people. If we're able to control the vibration and the level of energy that's emitting from that, if there is anything in disharmony with our energy, we can hope to raise it and bring it up with us as well. So if things are not in line with that, like an entity that's attached, we can just kind of break off that connection. And once we have that connection broken off, we create this sacred space with that person. And then we induce certain methods of healing. Um, a perfect example is I'll use this technique called neurogenic reprocessing, where I'm communicating directly with the person's subconscious mind. And I will have them use the metaphor of color and, um, you know, giving, you know, the feeling a shape, a size, a weight, a temperature, all of that. And then we're engaging the neurology. We're having them pull that out, whether it's imaginative or not, it doesn't matter because we're engaging the subconscious mind and the subconscious mind is, is reacting with this. And then we spin it down and then we place that back in the body and we'll use color breathing. Um, I'll use hypnotic language, you know, NLP, things like that to kind of help them get into a specific state where then we can rewrite some of these trauma packets, release some of this trauma from their body, and then take them out of reach of the entity. And then using the other spiritual tools and things I have, I'm able to then combat and deal with the entity separately while I'm dealing with the person. So it's, it, it, it's kind of really tricky in the aspect that you're fighting two battles at the same time. I'm not just treating the entity as the person and vice versa. I want to separate the two and then deal with them separately 
but at the same time. I see. Now, have you came across any situation where you have had a successful exorcism, but yet the quasi-physical malevolent being came back? Yes. Um, and the reason uh, this actually happened to my aunt, um, who is an alcoholic who lives in a haunted house. Uh, the house was actually built on an old cemetery. The bodies were not moved. And uh, this neighborhood was built on top of uh, the cemetery. And my aunt would regularly go into these, these bouts where, um, you know, my cousin had passed away. And so she would believe that she was talking to her deceased son. Um, it was not her son. It was not my cousin. And he would invite her to hurt herself. Um, and one of the things that she did one time, um, you know, this might be a little graphic, but um, he was drinking and driving and he went through his windshield. Mm -hmm. And so he and the entity, not my actual cousin, uh, invited her to feel what he felt when he died. So she took glass and she shredded her arms. Um, nothing that was... Uh, you know, of a, a, of a serious life-threatening injury, but I mean, hundreds of cuts all over the arms. And um, so it was having her mutilate herself. And it was a combination of her alcoholism that she would black out and this thing would take over. And it was like, she couldn't breathe. She would be, you know, struggling and gasping for air, even though her oxygen, you know, her O2 levels were completely normal, um, but she couldn't breathe. Um, I removed the entity. I actually did a, um, a, an exorcism on her while she was possessed. And it was terrifying because she was in pain. You tell that this was not just mental. I mean, she was in real physical pain. And once I removed the entity from her, she had no memory of what had just happened. And, you know, I was checking in with her and she was like, what's wrong? You know, I'm, I'm fine, baby. Everything's okay. And I'm like, you don't, you don't remember anything that just happened to you, auntie. And, and she had no memory whatsoever. This continued to happen quite a few times. And I got into this, this losing game mainly because of two reasons. One, she refused to get any help for her alcoholism. Okay. Two, she refused to do any sort of grief counseling. And, and you know, it was very sad. She, um, she almost got arrested because she tried to dig him up from the grave. Okay. I mean, we're, we're talking that level of, um, you know, struggling with grief. Um, you know, and, and it was because she was just in such a low vibratory state, um, just very, very severe, um, you know, depression and, and the alcoholism obviously did not help. There was nothing in her that wanted to get better. So how could I possibly have success with someone who did not want help? I see. Is um, amnesia common uh, outcome to when you you uh, do exorcism where people will not remember what happened? It can be. It can be. Um, usually, that's in uh, a true possession. Um, 
a lot of times when there's episodes of trans possession um, and overshadowing, they will be aware. They will remember that. Okay. Uh, and, and a lot of times the transient possession will happen before a full possession takeover. So they won't remember, you know, a good portion of the possession, but they'll remember elements of being possessed because it's kind of the precursor. I see. Um, okay. Um, if you could tell to all of our listeners, and I know like uh, some of them are very skeptical about uh, everything they've heard today, but um, tell them that, you know, what are the most common symptoms, okay, that they will feel if, oh boy, I am possessed or I need to go get a, a therapist because I have dissociative disorder. So is there something that they can differentiate themselves before they contact you and for you to give them the assessment? I don't want thousands of people calling you, hey, doc, I think I'm being possessed. <laughs> they just need a psychotherapist to be able to deal with their uh, dissociative disorder. So is there something that they need to know deep inside that, oh, it's more than just dissociative? Well, we, first, we would have to say that we've, we've established stage one, stage two, right? Um, if you're contacting me and you're wondering if you're possessed, my my first three questions for you before you even do is one do you have blackout periods uh where you wake up in places you know covered in blood or you know in, in cemeteries or things of that nature you know are, are you experiencing you know scratches uh in in your in your sleep with essentially three claw marks um in, in especially in places that you can't necessarily reach easily, or if you have these scratches, do they disappear almost instantaneously? Um, also, another thing is, is there a level of paranormal phenomena occurring around you that other people can verify and also are witness to? If that is happening, then yes, I would say you are likely, maybe not exactly possessed, but experiencing a paranormal crisis situation where possession could be the end goal. And you may need to reach out and get help for that, or it could progress. If it's a situation of mental health, do you feel like these things are happening, but you have no way to measure it? No one else can observe it. And it's just an internal experience, but it feels real to you, but there's no way to verify it with outside measurable sources then I would say, regardless of what you feel, I think your first step should be to get professional mental evaluation and health. And if that doesn't help in any way at all, then I would say reaching out to a spiritual healer might be a good next step. But if there is no paranormal phenomena whatsoever happening, honestly, this is not meant to be offensive at all, but you need mental health. And you need to seek out those resources. Well, all I have to say is W-O-W about this episode. It is, wow, I am flabbergasted. I've never expected to be able to talk to someone who actually experienced what we see in a typical Hollywood movie. Um, and that note, that is basically the time that we have for today's uh, podcast. I really do appreciate Dr. Sadu for you taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join us. And thank you again for participating and inspiring our many listeners 
with your skill set, and I know that a lot of people are just mesmerized by what you're going through on a day-to-day basis. Now, we hope that you've all enjoyed today's episode, and I'm very excited about the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for season four of the Happiness Journey podcast filled with incredible stories, just like the one that you listened to today. Now, here are some concluding words of wisdom. A human can be as great as he or she wants to be. If you believe in yourself and have the courage, the determination, the dedication, the competitive drive, and if you're willing to sacrifice all things in life and pay the price for the things that are worthwhile, it can be done. If you're looking for the instant gratification like many others out there, then don't expect much of happening anything long-term. You must work on yourself to achieve greatness, but also understand that greatness comes at a price. Trying to pursue this journey being selfish won't bring you far, but working with a team that can help you achieve the high status and making sure that they all reach it as well is what we call collective success. This increases your chance to reach all your goals. My name is Dr. Dan Emzelag, and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.